Good morning. Just want to speak to you single folks a little bit. Motivation to go because Luis on the mission field met his girlfriend. Amen? And you're going to get married? Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> She's not decided yet or what? December, okay. <laughs> I'm known for interrupting, okay. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to just read a few verses. We're going to glean through the rest of Philippians this morning. I'm not going to read most of it, but we will look at this whole final study series on joyful community and looking at the values. So in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but, all, but now much more also in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So Lord, I pray and that you bless our time in your word. You give us ears to hear. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Lord, the things I prepared, please break them fresh, feed us. We're hungry. We want to grow. We want to know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. We want to continue to press on the things that matter. So please take these things that I prepared, feed us, Lord, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So as you know, uh, all the Sundays in January each year, we are filling out prayer requests. You have some on your table. So if something strikes you in the, in the uh, message this morning, you want to make it a prayer, do so. If you have other things, I don't, it doesn't matter how many you want to put in there, but we're going to pray over those throughout 2021. They'll probably be prayed for by an individual at least five or six times this coming year. So the book of Philippians, as we've looked at, was written by Paul when he's in prison, and yet it's filled overflowing with joy. So the goal of this series in beginning 2021, is to make a list of joyful community values, things that are important to us, that we can take those into 2021 and further. So we wound up with five values. We've looked at four of them. They are, we get past ourselves, meaning the joy of thinking more about you than about me. That's always a joy. <laughs> we talk to God. That's the joy of praying for you and you for me. Third, we love the gospel. The joy that we are saved and others can be too. And then we remember Jesus' death until he comes. It's the joy of a servant. We looked at that last week. This morning, our fifth value, we work out our own salvation. And this is the joy of growing up together. That we're growing up together. That's community. So we work out our own salvation. The grow. To grow up is to appreciate that you grew up and are still growing up. Amen? 
So it's looking back, realizing we're not where we were, but thank God he's got more for us. And so as we glean through Philippians, we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I want to look, before I start into the text, a community to be fruitful, flourishing, like a tree. It must have deep roots in good soil. To use another Bible metaphor, for a community to be strong and healthy, like a body or, or, or in unity, every member of the body must function according to what each member is designed. Another Bible metaphor, for a community to remain stable and standing, like a building, it must have a firm foundation upon which it is being built. That song comes to me, how firm a foundation is we have in his word. There are other things, three things I want to look at. So when it comes to the church, the Christian community, the ecclesia, the called out ones, be it the universal big C or the local little C, that soil, that design, that foundation is made up of three things. Now, every year when I do this Focus Sunday, I like to go back to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, and you'd like to turn there, but we'll also have them up on the, on the slide. Peter is bringing a message to, to a close on the day of Pentecost. Now, he's preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus. A huge crowd in Jerusalem is hearing his message. They're there to celebrate the feast of Pentecost which is a prophetic picture of the birth of the church. So in Acts chapter 2, as he's bringing it to a close, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, conviction, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What a great question. Wouldn't you like to hear that over in where you are? What shall we do? Peter tells them, repent and let every one of you, not all of every one of you, this is individual, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that's what it represents, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the birthing, the new life. For the promise is to you, And to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He goes on. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Nothing's changed in that regard. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Wouldn't you love to see that? And yet just one is just as precious in the sight of God. And, it says, they continued steadfastly, here are the three things. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. So, continuing, verse 46, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who adds to the church? That's not our responsibility. God adds to it. Who pours out the Holy Spirit? God does. God births us. The response is what happens when you hear the gospel. So the community called the church, the three main things are the word of God, fellowship, and prayer with lots and lots of food. 
Amen? <laughs> Food's got to be there. Fellowship and food. And so tonight we get to have fellowship around food. So we work out our own salvation. These three main things, the word of God, fellowship, prayer, with these as the main source of the way of the life of truth, the strength and stability and health that we desire, together by the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is beginning to be uh, testified to. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. That's community. Love. Joyful community. So together, God would have us grow up in his love. Together, his love changes us, transforms us, sanctifies us. God's love keeps before us an eternal perspective and orders our priorities accordingly. The love of God directing our lives. God's love re-aims us as need be, the straight and narrow gate that leads to life. That's the love of God. Together, God's love builds us up to grow us up. Together, God's love wakes us up. Listen. Wakes us up lest we find ourselves in an arrested state of spiritual development. There has to be response in relationship with God. So the writer of Hebrews says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He hasn't grown up like he should have. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. They've matured. That's, that is those who by, now here's how we mature. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's simply the, the dividing line. What is good and what is evil? As we grow in the Lord, as we're maturing, we get a, a, a keener sense and understand, I need to be going about doing good and I need to resist and get away from evil. And so we begin discerning what those things are. So that's spiritual development, spiritual maturity. But I want to also add this as far as our human development, just humanly speaking. There are also three things that are essential. Three things that we all need. Three things that are vital to our development as just human beings, Christian or not a Christian. And I would go so far as to say with these, our personal growth, which would be emotionally, intellectually, spiritually knowing the Lord, but those two, and even physically to some extent, you would testify this as a doctor, that some, that, that without them, we're going to be stunted in our growth just as humans. Without these, our personal growth is stunted. At best, somewhat, at worst, severely. We see it. In other words, we need these things as being made in the image of God. He created us for relationship. So here are the three things. They're not complicated, but they are powerful. I consider them in three triads, if you will. Let me give them to you. Number one, the first triad, three things. You believe in me. You believe in me. Secondly, you listen to me. You hear me. And third, you encourage me. Now, you put those three factors in any relationship, 
You will be growing. I will be growing. And I appreciate those who believe in me, who hear me and listen to me, who encourage me. The second triad is this. I believe in you. I'm listening to you. I'm hearing you. And I'm encouraging you. That's relationship. The third triad is this. We believe in community. We listen as community, hearing each other. We encourage community because we know how vital it is to our spiritual growth, our mental growth, our intellectual growth, and yes, even to some degree, our physical growth. Community is relative. As small as two and as large as it becomes. Relationships. That's what community is. It's relationship. It's family. It's friends. It's acquaintances. It's church. It's work. It's school. It's sports. It's interests. That's community. So I just wanted to set those three things below us as we look at that. So we work out our own salvation. Number one, we work out our responsibilities together. That's what we're doing. That's community. So Paul writes in Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also now much more also in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of what pleases him. So let's start out right where we need to start out. It's God who's partnering with us. He's promised to partner with us in this endeavor to live out our Christian lives. So we work out our responsibilities together. It means I take responsibility for my life, And for you. And you take responsibility for your life and for me. Now, I didn't say for me for your life. I said you, for you. I take responsibility for you as my brother, as my sister, as my family, as my friend. But as far as my life, I'm taking responsibility for my life. You are also taking responsibility for your life and for me or for whoever that is. That is community. That is is how we work out our salvation. So Paul says God's promise to partner with us in all of our God-given responsibilities in our own lives and in the lives of others. Though Paul was absent, God was not. God is always present with us to work out these things. So do all things without complaining and disputing. Why does he have to start there? Do all things without complaining or disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You have to say amen to this. It's so easy, it's so natural to complain and dispute. It just has that root in sin. If we are to become blameless and harmless, we must do all things, these two things, must not do that. In other words, complain about what I have to do. Or dispute about what I think you should be doing. That has to stop if we're going to mature. Yes, And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice. Paul was not complaining and disputing. He wasn't even thinking about it. He was measured up in his responsibilities to live his life as a light. And he was there to help others do the same. It was his joy to sacrifice in serving them. He needed nothing in return except that they could enter in together in doing the same. So this is my joy. Sacrifice and serving one another. That is something that we are learning every day. We're growing up in these matters. So verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Now, Paul and Timothy were community. Paul loved Timothy. Timothy loved Paul. Paul believed in Timothy. Timothy believed in Paul. Paul listened to Timothy, heard Timothy, knew his background, and encouraged him in the things that he saw. Vice versa, the same way. Timothy was, a, was someone that was like-minded with Paul. He was someone, it says there, who served with him. Therefore, I hope to send him once to you as one who goes with me. So these two were community together. Together they had the same love for the Philippian community. So in verses 25 through 30, we have this guy named Epaphroditus. Same thing. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to help Paul and find out how he was doing. So he goes. In other words, they, the Philippian church, took responsibility for their lives and they sent to find out about Paul. Paul wanted them to know how highly he esteemed Epaphroditus. And so he takes responsibility for his own life, Paul does, and then for Epaphroditus. He sends them back to them, him. But Epaphroditus willingly served Paul. In all of his labors, in all of his dangers, Epaphrodites was right there. That's, com- that's community. That's growing up. Epaphrodites wound up being very sick. Paul was concerned for him, and so was the church. So Paul said, I'm going to send him back to you so you know that he's, he's healed, he's better. And so, again, the whole idea of taking responsibility for our lives and for others. We work at our own salvation. We work out our responsibilities together. Secondly, we work out our maturity together. In other words, I can forget those things that are behind, and so can you. And, I, and you can forget those things that are behind, and so can I. And we need to do that if we're going to have community and let people grow. See them growing. So he says, Find my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Chapter 3, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul is doing what he didn't like to do. He's saying, hey, you want to know what my trophies are? You want to know everything that I've done? Now, I want you to note something. Having confidence in the flesh is a mark of immaturity. It's a mark of my need to grow more. Now he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is the law, he says, blameless. So he had this incredible, like, record among the Jews. This guy 
is the real deal. He is the really righteous one. He, and yet he didn't ever know Jesus. And that's possible. And so a self-righteousness also is an indication that we need to grow. So maturity is when your world opens up and you realize that you are not the center of it, unquote. I love that. Maturity is when, you, is when your world opens up and you realize you are not the center of it. But let me say to you something. Jesus needs to be the center if we're going to be growing and maturing in our spiritual lives, lives and also in our human relationships. The minute I'm the center, I better grow up or it's going to end any community. So he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. All of his trophies. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain, if any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. What's he saying? Let me say this first. This is deep stuff. We don't have time this morning. A lot in this passage. We've, in, our, in some of my interactions with my smaller groups, we've talked a lot about this whole thing of the, the fellowship of his sufferings. Talked about that last week. Nobody wants to suffer, but am I willing to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm willing to suffer if that's what you have for me. And I'll trust you in all of it. So I'll put it this way, this little passage. We can add absolutely nothing to enhance the person of Jesus Christ who he is, and what he's done. We can enhance that. We, we have absolutely nothing to enhance him with. However, we can gain absolutely everything in knowing him for who he is and what he did. That's the fellowship, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. That we could not do in and of ourselves. So we can't enhance Jesus and we can't do what he's called us to do unless we are radically changed through salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then setting out to walk with him and know him more so that through our lives, his life can be poured out. Jesus is God. In him is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus became a man, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus came, God. He was, became a man, born of a woman, born under the law, human, under all those things. Why? To redeem us. That we might receive the adoption as sons. In other words, any adoption required our father's intervention to take us to himself through his son. Jesus grew up from infancy to adolescence to adulthood, just like we have, or are. <laughs> it says in Luke 2.52, a fascinating little verse, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew up just like we did. Jesus suffered and died in our place to take his place 
as the captain of our salvation. I'd like to go to Hebrews. Again, these are, we could plumb these all day long. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through what? Suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified all of one, for which he is not ashamed to, to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. And saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you together with us. Imagine that. Well, <laughs> we're not going to have to imagine it. We're going to see it. We're going to partake in it. And again, I'll, be, I'll put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Next. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy, the, destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We need a releasing. We need, we need to be forgiven. Jesus came as the captain of our salvation, the perfect God-man, to do, accomplish for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. All of our self-righteousness, all of our confidence is like rubbish if we're going to know him. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he has to be made like his brother, that he might be merciful a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertain to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. His perfecting was not in the sense of correcting something amiss or of righting something wrong. Or of repairing something flawed in him. That's not what we're talking about. But in him, taking upon himself everything that was amiss. Everything that was wrong. Everything that was flawed in us. That he would perfectly accomplish for us the hope for the ultimate perfecting. For the completing of our lives. And the promise of that, where? In glory. This mortal must put on incorruption. That's what, when we, when this body, this tent perishes, we have a building of God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So this mortal must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. Who is the first fruits? It's Jesus. Who's leading us to that? It's our, the captain of our salvation. Jesus accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. He perfectly accomplished the hope for the ultimate perfecting, the completing of our lives in glory to the praise of his glory. So Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, present you faultless before the presence of before his presence with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Jesus is God. And so in Colossians, I quote a little bit, I want to give you the whole verse. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, growing, maturing, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. 
Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to tradition of men, according to basic principle of the world, and not according to Christ. In other words, self-confidence, self-righteousness. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and here it is, bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of the, all principality and power. He overcame every obstacle for us. So Jesus is a perfect man. He's the perfection of man. He is the perfecter of our lives. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God through him. I can add absolutely nothing to enhance the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. I can, however, gain absolutely everything in knowing him for who he is and what he did for me that I could never do by myself. So without Jesus, all my self-righteousness, all my self-confidence is of absolutely no value. Now, that sort of twists my brain when it comes to my pride. But that's the truth. To know him is to understand that my self-confidence could never accomplish what he alone did for me. My self-righteousness is actually a barrier to knowing him, to walking with him, to growing in faith. And so I grow by trashing my self-confidence, trashing my self-righteousness. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it from someday for a crown. I grow by trusting Jesus for the righteousness of God, which is through faith. I grow by knowing Jesus in his resurrection, yes, and his suffering. I humble myself and acknowledge that Jesus cannot be known so long as I think that I can come to him on my own terms. It's through repentance of all these things. And I'm ushered in in relationship with him. To know Jesus, to know a resurrection life. But listen, a resurrection life does not happen until there's a crucified life. So, there's always room to grow. He says, verse 12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Jesus captured our hearts and took our lives because he has a purpose for them. And so there's always room to grow. Important to keep in mind as far as our maturing. And what a blessing to be given room to grow. To be given the freedom to grow. Where you believe in me. Where you hear me. Where you encourage me. Or where I believe in you. And I am going to listen and hear you, and I'm going to encourage you. And I think in our day and age, maybe actually it's true throughout life, we need these relationships where someone in my life believes in me. Someone in my life is listening to me. Someone in my life is encouraging me. And they see all the flaws. And let me tell you, the ultimate person is God. He sees all the flaws. And what does he do? God, in that sense, believes in me. He listens to me. He encourages me. You look through the Bible, all these wonderful, great people, so like examples, and yet every one of them needed the encouragement of God. 
Everyone of them needed to know that God was listening to them. Everyone of them needed to know that they were in relationship with him. And God does that for us. We will never be perfect. Paul recognized this. But we press on. We press on. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend but one thing I do. So not only is there always room to grow, in this whole pressing on, there are three things that are necessary if we're going to. So there's, there's these three things in one thing. And the one thing he did is forgetting those things that are behind. In other words, I'm leaving my past behind. And we do well to do the same. We're going to say, hey, what happened has happened. I can't change it. Now, forgetting those things, one thing I, 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 just, I just don't think about. I'm going to leave it behind. Those could be good things and those could be bad things. Good things can be just as a, a hindrance to our maturity as bad things. We can line up the trophies, line up the plaques, line up the degrees. And sometimes we can look back and say, oh, and you know, it's always telling when you're thinking how good it was back when. With God, it should be good right now. It should be a forward thinking. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. So we forget those things which are behind. We reach forward to those things which are ahead. Growing up is knowing that nothing stays the same. There's no static to it. There's the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives and leading us in paths of righteousness that are always putting before us a new panorama, a new view, a new vision. That's God. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is worthy of the kingdom. We've got to keep our eyes forward pressing toward the goal for the prize the goal rivets our attention on the race that we're running so i'm in a race i got to keep my focus on the finish and then the prize takes us off now the track and up onto the platform if you will that's coming for each of us the prize the upward call of god in christ jesus there's always room to grow, but growth is relative. Growth is relative. Therefore, let us, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God revealed even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. There is a perfect maturity that none, no one attains. Can you say amen to that, please? There's a perfect maturity that no one attains. Now, there's this whole, doc, I haven't heard it recently, but it used to be this whole idea of becoming, we can become perfect, sinless. There's a theological term for that. It's called baloney. <laughs> as long as we're in this life, in this body, we will never attain to perfect, the perfect measure. We'll never be perfectly mature. But there's a relative maturity that as many as are mature are attaining. And so the growth principle in my mind, it's a scripture actually, Isaiah 26, keep our minds stayed on him and he will keep us in perfect peace because we trust in him. Let this mind be in you. We need to keep our minds stayed on him. So you sense what God is doing in your life. God knows what still needs doing. 
And he who began the good work in you will complete it. So we have a sense of what God is doing. And God knows what needs doing. And God will let us know when we need to know. That's what Paul's saying. He'll reveal that to us. So again, keep your mind on him. Keep your mind stayed on him. The minute you start trying to please people, you have hit a rut. And so have I. The fear of man is a snare, but who trusts in the Lord will be safe. Keep our eyes, our minds stayed on him. And he will keep us in perfect peace because we trust him. Because we trust him. I think that's a key to maturity. Finally, brethren, he says in verse 4, Chapter 4, verse 8, whatever things, so how do we keep our mind? Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there are any virtue, if there are any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God, here it is again, the God of peace will be with you. Keep your mind stayed on him, and he will keep us in perfect peace. Talks the same thing about prayer that way. So, brethren, join with me in my example and note those who so walk. So here's the deal. We keep our eyes standing, but we better be careful that whoever we're following has a proven track record. That we're not following just, we know someone, we've known them, and Paul says that. Let us walk as, as with this mind in us. Let us be careful who we're following. Finally, and we'll, we'll breeze through this a little bit, we work out for our eternity together. Now, <laughs> it's nice that we can live together here, but when you look at relationships here, you say, what's it going to be like there? I don't want to be with that guy. I don't want to know that guy. I wish they'd leave. No, listen, we're stuck. We're family. God chose us. God called us. And so our citizenship is in heaven. Our names are written in the book of life. And so to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what we have in our community. So brethren, he says, rejoin, join in following my example. God's going to transform our lowly body that may be conformed to his glorious body. When this tent is dissolved, we have a building God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. These are all things we are going to be, have eternity together. And so we're working out for our eternity together. That we're, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Our hope is not in this life or this world. It's in what God has for us. Paul loved these people. Paul, they're his beloved brethren. They were family and friends and were dearly missed. One day, that will not be the case. Eternity, the kingdom of God. And so he had these couple, these women who were well-known women in the church who had this dispute. But it seems they were working on it. And so as they're already trying to work on it, Paul says, would you go help them? Reconcile, would you go help them? And I would say this, so long as we're working on our relational problems, we're working out our salvation. What goes with the territory. And these two women, a third one he includes there. I end with these, and I'm not going to read this path, but I want to end with, with these things that Paul, at the end of, of the book, these series of little exhortations about community. I'm applying it to that. With, a, with what a growing community will always and again be doing is rejoicing in the Lord. 
together. What a growing community will always be known for by all men is gentleness and readiness. How a growing community will be responding to everything is in prayer, praying together. What a growing, what a growing, I, I love this, and it's so true. What a growing community will be nurturing is wholesome thinking. And I don't know about you, but this last year has been horrible in some ways. My attitudes, my thinking. And it's taken repetition by many to remind me and to remind each other God's in control. God is doing what he is going to do to accomplish what he has to accomplish. Wholesome thinking. What a growing community will be teaching and learning, I love this too, is a caring contentment. Are you content today? Paul said, I've learned how to be content. And what a growing community will be teaching and learning is careful and caring contentment. And finally, what a growing community will be seeking for each other is fruit that abounds. Paul said, hey, I'm, I'm seeking the fruit that abounds to your account. So if we have the right perspective through these things of how we grow up together, the desire is going to be that you're fruitful, your life is fruitful, that fruit's abounding to your account, and vice versa. What a growing community will be saying to each other, Paul ends the epistle with. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The grace of God. So, these values, we get past ourselves, the joy of thinking more about you and less about me. We talk to God, the joy of praying for you and you pray for me. We love the gospel, the joy that we are saved and others can be too. We remember Jesus' death till he comes. That's the joy of a servant, specifically Jesus, the servant. And finally, we work out our salvation. It's the joy of growing up together. So I want to ask you to pray along with me right now as the worship team comes out and just bring our hearts to him in response to some of the things we've heard, things that are on your heart. And Lord, we look toward 2021. We know that you have a plan, you have purposes, you're accomplishing those. We know, Lord, that we need to be ready, watching. We know, Lord, that as, as people we need those who love us and believe in us and hear us and encourage us and vice versa, Lord. We, need, we, know, we know that we need community where that's happening. So, Lord, whether it's two that we're thinking about right now, whether it's a smaller group or a larger group, we're asking in Jesus' name for our hearts to be tuned to these things. That we're thinking and acting in ways that are going to honor you and cause us to grow, not only individually, but together as the church. So as, we're, as you're just thinking right now, as this song is being played, 
I want to worship together, pray together, pray each other. And then after this song, if you want to come up to, to be prayed for or you want to drop something in the prayer bowl, please do that. We'll have another song and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. You can uh, either go in the lobby or stay in here for more prayer. Let's do it.